All right, Mark 9, and uh, we last time we talked about the kingdom of God, and we're going to do it again this evening. Uh, here um, we have one more passage really to look at, and as we came through the context, uh, we have been, we've seen and uh, begin to understand the issue about hell. In this passage, it is the Greek word Gehenna, and we looked at that and dove down into that. But then also this issue here in verse 47 about it's better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God. And that issue here of the kingdom of God, and that is a critical issue to understand and to have in our proper thinking. And uh, the context here really starts back up in verse 33 where they're arguing amongst themselves. It ends in verse 50 with, have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. And that issue of the individual responsibility that they're to have for themselves, but then also the group. That's what's going what's gonna to produce peace in the group is the individual issue is taken care of. So we, were, we introduced last time the issue of the kingdom of God, and that comes out of verse 43. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched. Verse 45. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched. Verse 47. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire and that issue there of two times life life and then the kingdom of god so obviously the issue of life and the issue of the kingdom of god are interchangeable so the kingdom of god has to do with uh with life and life has to do with the issue of kingdom uh and again we looked at that issue of the hell fire and down into into Gehenna, into Topet. We went back in Isaiah 66, the quote, we saw all that. Now we're here and we're talking about the issue of the kingdom of God. Now, this passage, come over with me to Matthew 6. As you're turning there, I'll just catch us back up in our thinking. Matthew 6, the passage gets used to say that in the Mark 9 passage that the kingdom is not a literal, physical, visible, earthly kingdom. It's rather the rule of God in the hearts and the minds of men. And we began to look at that issue last time where we saw that that's not true. When he talks about life, yes, life, spiritual life, eternal life, and yes, you don't see that, but yet it has that physical component there of the issue <coughs> of that literal, physical, visible, earthly kingdom. So yes, you have a spiritual component, but you also have a physical component, and both components have to be there. Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So you have the two issues there. The first issue that has to be squared away is the spiritual need. They need righteousness. 
They are, yes, they're the sons of Abraham, but they're also still the sons of Adam. They are sinners. They need the spiritual righteousness. That's why Jesus Christ comes. He talks to them about being born again. He comes and talks to them about the issue of, it's about your heart now and the spiritual issues. And then the physical things come. Now, in the context, the physical things, there, it starts in verse 25. You've got clothes and food. Verse number 31, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or whether with all we shall be clothed. Those are physical things. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, the physical things. So the first thing is the spiritual issue. They need to have his righteousness. And when they have his righteousness, now they're able to produce that physical activity then becomes theirs. And again, we focus in on that literal, physical, visible, Davidic kingdom, and sometimes we forget the spiritual side of it. They need, and again, that's a contrasting point here, that you need the spiritual side, the believing side, the faith side, and then you, that's the life side. <laughs> Got to have life, life. And then you come over into the issue of, uh, uh, of the physical. So you have the two aspects. You have the physical side, the spiritual side, and you have the physical side. So in Mark 9, when the, the passage gets used to talk about and to say, well, the kingdom of God is really in the hearts and the minds. It's the rule of God in the hearts and minds. And we began to kind of debunk that last time. When the Lord rules in Israel, good evening. When the, Lord, when the Lord rules in Israel through the little flock, he's doing it because they are the righteous nation. And then they, therefore, they inherit that physical blessings. But first, they have to be that righteous nation. And they have to have the physical, and then they have to have the spiritual in place. Now, last week, I, we started introduce, I introduced to you two passages. We'll get, catch them real quick just in our thinking. Look at Luke 17. Luke 17. Because what happens is, is these are the passages that get used to say that the rule of God is in the hearts of men. That the kingdom is not a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic, real thing. It's a spiritual issue. And what happens then is, uh, well, they use these passages. And we're dealing with Mark 9 because that's where we're at in Mark. But here in Luke 17, if you notice verse 20... And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, again, <laughs> what did they say? Well, see, it's within you. It's not with observation. And yet we looked last time, Luke 19, Luke 20, that what are they going to do? They're going to be able to see the kingdom. They can see it. It's right there. He's talking to the Pharisees. Are they the believing remnant or are they the apostate nation? 
apostate nation. Okay, so when that is the case, obviously he's not talking to them about, hey, it's within you, because it's not, they're not in the believing element. But rather what he's dealing with is, look, the kingdom starts in your heart. It's a heart issue. It's that spiritual issue. It starts inside of you, within you. So this is really a rebuke of the Pharisees here as he looks at them and says, hey, you know, you guys aren't on board here. You guys are fighting this. You're over here doing this. You're doing that. And you need to understand this right here. It starts within you. If you come over to Acts 3, that's why Peter says what Peter says here in Acts 3. So what they then do with Luke 17 is they can't get around what he's doing with the Pharisees, so they go to the Greek, and then they read Schofield's note, and he says that it really should be in the midst of you, not within you, but in the midst. So he's in the midst of you, so who's there? The kingdom is there, so everything's good because he's there. Now, he is there. But what is the Lord doing in his earthly ministry? Luke 8, 1, he's preaching and showing the things that pertain to the kingdom. He's manifesting, he's giving them a foretaste of it. The kingdom isn't come. All through scripture, the kingdom is a future event. Acts 3, notice Peter. Acts 3, 19. Repent ye, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Okay, when is that going to happen? When the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. When does Peter anticipate the kingdom? Future. When the Lord returns, it's going to, the kingdom will come. It's not here. It's not in their midst. Come on over to, to Romans 14. So what they do instead of just letting the kingdom be both aspects, spiritual as well as um, physical, I'll get it out there, then they try to do, you know, change the book and, and no, it's, that's not the case. Romans 14 is the other passage we looked at last time. Verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, see, look, there it is. It's ruling of the rule of God in the hearts of men because it's not, you know, no eating. But yet, we, what did we do? We went and looked in Luke 14 and looked in Luke 22. And what are they going to be doing in the kingdom? Eating and drinking. So it's not an absolute. By the way, neither is Luke 17 an absolute. There's dispensational view, but also what is Paul talking about? Paul is talking about the weaker brother and that issue of how to handle the weaker brother in Christ. Now, come with me to John 18. This is a passage we didn't get to last time. I want to look at it tonight. And then, again, next week we won't be here. We'll be here the 31st of August, and then we'll miss a week because we'll be out of town again. And then we'll be back in, hopefully, uh, chapter Mark chapter 10. 
Uh, John 18, here's the other verse. Here's another popular verse that they use. John 18, verse 35. And they use it again to say that the rule of God is in the hearts of men. It's not a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom. Now you have Christ before Pilate. Verse 35, And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priest have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? <laughs> Man, isn't that the question? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. So see, the kingdom is not literal, physical, invisible. It's not here. It, it's in the hearts of men. That's where it is. But the problem is, is when they say that, the end of verse 36, they leave a word out. And the new Bibles omit a word. You see the end of verse 36. But now is my kingdom not from hence? They leave that word now out. So it doesn't, it, it says, so their Bibles say what? But my kingdom is not from, he, from hence. No, what's the But now, right now, the kingdom isn't here. Now, if you hold on to here and look over at Revelation 11, Revelation 11 and verse 15, Revelation 11, 15, what's going to happen? And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, 11, 15, and saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Why does the Lord tell Pilate that right now my kingdom isn't here? Because it's not time for his kingdom to be here. When will it come? Out in the future. Again, it all, it all drives to the future. It has a future point. When the kingdom of this, of, uh, the kingdom of this world, these worlds, by the way, those are literal, physical, visible kingdoms. You can see them. They become what? His. He dominates them. It's not in the hearts of men. It's literally reigning over the nations, the Gentile nations in the earth. That's what he's getting at. So now come back to Acts 3 and just kind of think this through. So usually when you run into people who say that the kingdom of God resides in the hearts of men, reigns and rules, then what you quickly find out is you find someone who likes to change the book and then they don't understand dispensational Bible study at all, okay? And they change the book because they don't understand how to dispensationally Bible study. If they understood that, then they wouldn't be chained, trying to monkey with the verses. But they're trying to do something. And their agenda usually is to be able to claim a blessings given to the nation of Israel and have a work salvation. and have, you know. So you get off in all of this stuff when you just let the word Say what it says. Now, it's critical to see something here, and the rest of the evening we'll look at it. Acts chapter 3, if you will look here 
Because in the earthly ministry of Christ, notice verse 20. And he shall send Jesus Christ. I, I actually go back up to verse 18. Go back up to verse 18. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Now, earthly ministry of Christ, everything that the prophets said he was going to do, what's that verse say? He did. He fulfilled. Literal, physical, invisible. He died. He was buried. He rose. He ascended up on high. The Holy Spirit was sent back. Everything that was said that he would do, he literally and physically accomplished. Nothing was spiritualized. Nothing was an allegory. Nothing was a teaching moment. It was a literal, physical, visible fulfillment. Verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Okay, he's fulfilled everything, now what do we do? Well, we, there, all that's happened, what do we need to do? We need to repent. It's, it's, we need to repent, we need to change our thinking about him, because what did he do? He just accomplished all of that that was said about him that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive until the times of restitution. There's a time of restoring all the things back to believing Israel. Remember in chapter 1, Acts 1, when they ask, is it time to restore again the kingdom to Israel? What did Israel have in the past that they're looking to restore again. If, by the way, you got that verse is, tells you, I know what everybody says. Everybody focuses in on verse 7. It's not for you to know, but yet they do know because he just spent 40 days with them telling them. But the thing in verse 6 is, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again? In other words, they had a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom at one point in time that they lost, and now they're wanting it back again. You think about the 80 years of under David and under Solomon. They ruled and ran the, the world, the whole of it. They were in charge. They were right where they're supposed to have been, but what happened? Well, they just fall apart. Sin gets them. And yet, so it, the only thing that Israel had prior to this was a literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom. So what is he going to do? Acts 3. He's, hey, we're going to times of restitution of all things. We're going to put that all back. When does that happen? When the refreshing is, when the Lord returns. Now watch the end of verse 21. Which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. They are expecting something to happen that the prophets said would happen, and that is that there's a kingdom of God, a kingdom of heaven that's coming, that's going to re be returned and restored, 
and, and Revelation 11, going to wipe out everybody and do that. Now, come to Daniel chapter 2 and watch this. Watch it work out here in Daniel 2. Daniel 2, the goal of prophecy is all about this kingdom, the kingdom of God, i.e. the kingdom of heaven. Is verse 44 and verse 45. That's the verses, but we're going to get there. We've got to get the context. Because what you have in Daniel 2 is you have the nation of Israel going in under the fifth course of judgment. They are being scattered amongst the Gentiles. The northern ten tribes have already been scattered. Assyria took them. They're gone. Isaiah and Jeremiah say, look, you see what happened to your sister? It's going to happen to you, Judah, the southern kingdom. And what Now Nebuchadnezzar comes. He's the first king that God has given to be the king over all the earth. He gives him a vision. He gives him a dream. Daniel 2, verse 1, And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. And you hopefully remember the story. <laughs> you, you were just reading Daniel, I know. And what happens? He has a dream of this great image. And he sends out a, uh, an edict to his guys that, uh, well, verse 3, And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and now my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king, in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. And you know what he says? Oh, no, you tell me the dream. And then if you don't, I'm going to kill you. So they say, hang on a minute, we know a guy. Daniel. Go, somebody go get Daniel, quick. And Daniel comes. Verse 19. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. Verse 22, He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in dark, the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. And he goes to, Dan, to Nebuchadnezzar, and verse 28, But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. And he gives him the, the dream. Verse 31, Thou, O king, sawest, and behold a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and, and the form thereof was terrible. The image head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. This was the iron and clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold, broken to pieces together, and became like the chaff, the chafe of the summer threshing floor, and the wind carried them away that no place was found for them, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. By the way, mountains, unless it's specifically talking about geographical mountains, it's talking about kingdoms. Okay? Verse 36, this is a dream 
and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power and strength and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field, the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thy hand, hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. By the way, that's the sovereignty that God has. Okay? He can do what? He can come and do whatever he wants to do. Why? He's in charge. Now, verse 39. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee. So we have Babylon, then we have the Medes and the Persians, and then we have Greece show up, and then there's a fourth kingdom coming, and that ends up really being the kingdom of the Antichrist, the kingdom of the north and the south. Now, drop down to verse 44. These are real, literal, physical, visible, earthly kingdoms. We can go into history books, and we can find them. We can see them. These are not mystical. They're not... You know, uh, uh, you know, Daniel didn't have a bad pizza the night before, and think of all this. These are real things. By the way, well, remind me to look at Revelation, all right? Just, okay? Verse 44. He's going to now explain. Remember in the vision that he saw, uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw a stone was cut out without hands, and it bashed. Now watch him explain it in verse 44. Because here's the goal of all of prophecy. And in the days of these kings, now think about that. Shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. By the way, if you look back at verse 30. Five, the end of it, smote the image, became a great mountain, and filled the whole earth. You see how that mountain, it's equated to a kingdom in verse 44. So you can begin to see this issue. So then over in Revelation, when he talks about the mount, seven mountains, he's not talking about Rome and the hills. He's talking about kingdoms, okay? But notice in verse 44... What do you have? You have the God of heaven setting up a what? A kingdom. So the God of heaven, he's going to set up a kingdom, so we can call it the kingdom of God, or we can call it the kingdom of heaven. Same thing. Matthew is the only one that uses kingdom of heaven because of the political issues and the dispensational shift and everything. But what's going to happen here? It's never going to be destroyed. Verse 44, and it's going to consume all of the Gentile, Revelation eleven fifteen. 15. What's his, what is Daniel telling Nebuchadnezzar is coming? A future kingdom. What does Daniel believe? Daniel 9, by books I learn and study. What's coming their way? A future kingdom, verse 45. By the way, in verse 44, shall not, uh, the kingdom shall not be left to See that other people? Well, the only people on earth that belong to God are, is Israel, the nation of it. This is a national issue here, the nation of Israel. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, 
So this is a, this is not a kingdom made up of by man. Who who's this? This is a kingdom made by God of heaven. What's he gonna What's he gonna do? And that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. The dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof is sure. There is no question about what's to happen. It's not the spiritual rule of God in the hearts of men that's going to go out and gradually communicate all this to men and bring them in. No, this is going to be a big bang. This is going to be a a big boom of judgment that destroys the literal, physical, visible, earthly kingdoms of men. And in that activity, he's going to then set up his kingdom. So Daniel 2 set... There's no question here about how this is going to work and and what's to happen. And by the way, Daniel 2 also establishes the fact of that issue of a premillennial viewpoint and studying this and studying of the of the prophets. That's the viewpoint that 244 is telling you. Hey, before the kingdom is established, what's he going to do? He's going to come back, wipe them all out, and then set up his kingdom. And then the millennial starts. By the way, the only reason we know it's a thousand-year intro is because of the book of Revelation. Nowhere in the prophets does he talk about a thousand-year beginning. It just sits over there in the book of the Revelation. He's going to bind Satan for a thousand years. Okay, that's how we get that. Now, come over with me to Revelation. And let me just show you this so you see it. I gotta find it. I think it's 10. Nope. Oh, it's that close. I'm looking for the mountains. Oh, there it is. Revelation uh, 19. Nope. Hang on. I was just I just had it in my head. And now it. That's what you get for trying to think it, right? Oh, the seven hills and the... Isn't that crazy? I just... Here it is, 17. (laughs) Revelation 17. That makes good for a good study, doesn't it? But that's because we're here doing it. So Revelation 17, if you look at verse 8... The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. All right, so whose mind is going to have wisdom out there? Well, the believing remnant, the little flock, the believers. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings. Well, wait a minute. If we got seven mountains and then we got seven kings, then what are the mountains? Kingdoms. See how he explains that. Five are fallen. One is, 
and the other is not yet come. When he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was, and it is, and is not, even he is the eighth, and is of the seventh, and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. Now, if you think about that, in Scripture, in human history, he says that there are five kingdoms already fallen. Now, you've got to think about the kingdoms of the world that, that persecuted Israel. Now, we're on a rabbit trail here, but that's okay. You can think about this. The first kingdom we learn about persecuting Israel is Egypt. So there's one. The next one is Syria. Taking them over. There's two. Then you have Babylon. Then you have the Medes and the Persians. Medes, Persians. And one is... Now, who's, when John writes, who's running the show? Well, everybody says Rome, but Rome comes out of Greece, the Greco-Roman Empire. Okay, so there's Greece. All right? And there's yet, what, one more to come. There's the kingdom of the Antichrist as the man of sin. And then there's an eighth one, son of perdition. So, you got your, so you've got them all there, and you find them in Daniel, in the, be, in the picture. Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, Greece, and then the toes out and so forth. So you've got them right there. But what are they talking about? There's a kingdom coming. You follow that? So you, when you look at this issue here in verse 10, seven kings, five are fallen. Well, Egypt and Syria, Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, Greece has fallen. But see, when Greece fell, Alexander the Great fell, Greece got divided up into four kingdoms. The one kingdom that's now of, that, of Greece is, is Roman, but it's still Greece. It's Rome, the Roman Greco-Roman Greco Empire. Then you have the Antichrist is going to come, but he's got a career, man of sin, son of perdition. So you've got the eight. Okay? Now, that has nothing to do with, that's just out of my thinking out of there. Go back to Acts 3 as we go back to Matthew 25. But get Acts 3. So you can work that out and study that out, and you can see the great. Again, the goal of prophecy, no question, is what? There's a kingdom coming out there in the future. And it is going to be literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic in nature. And it's contingent upon the spiritual component being met. Bringing in the physical, 321, Acts 321. Which God has spoken by all, by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So since Adam, what are they looking for? They've been looking for a kingdom. And when that kingdom is going to come, it's going to be a it's going it's just it's going to be a a literal, physical, visible, earthly Davidic kingdom. The nature of that kingdom is going to be 
that, that issue there as it's worked out. Now come over to Matthew 25. That's where we need to be, I'm trying to get you there, okay? <laughs> that spiritual component has, that's why John the Baptist, that's why the Lord says repent, be converted. You've got to have that spiritual component taken care of that will then allow the physical blessing, the physical issues to come into play. The coming of the physical kingdom, literal, physical, visible, is contingent upon the spiritual component within the, na within the nation being there. That's why the believing remnant is called the true Israel of God. Okay? Matthew 25. Here's another passage that helps us, Matthew 25, 31. And it really kind of helps us understand what we're reading in Acts 3. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. All right, second coming, he comes back, and he's going to judge the nations now, verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And think about that. He's talking to Gentiles. and to Because the, the nation of Israel is set. They've been through the trip, the 70th week of Daniel, the true Israel of God, they're done. They've been refined. They've gone through the refiner's fire. They've gone through the, the adversary's rod. The dross is out of them. The, tent, the, the rebel has been uh, eliminated. They sit there. The goats come in. There's the nation. He gathers all the nations. Verse 32, he separates them out. He puts the sheep, the believing uh, nations on one side, the goats, the unbelieving on the other. And he says, okay, the kingdom has been prepared for you from when? The foundation of the world. The whole goal all through the prophets has been always Gentile salvation into the kingdom, but through the use of the nation of Israel. Okay? It's always been that way. Now, in verse 34, the question then is, how do you get the blessing? So he runs through a whole issue in verse 35, 36, 37, 38. 39, verse 40, And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of these, the least of my brethren, ye have done it unto me. What's he claiming? He's claiming the Abrahamic covenant. He's claiming the, I'll bless them that bless you, and I will curse them that curse you. How, how can the Gentiles... They've been blessing Israel through the 70th week, the believing remnant. What are they going to get? They're going to walk into that kingdom over there. That's why he'll tell the Pharisees and the leaders, he goes, you guys are going to be sitting over here, and you're going to watch Gentiles go into that kingdom, and you're going to be pitching a fit, because why are they going in? That's my king. And you're over here because of your unbelief. What do the Gentiles get for blessing Israel, for taking care of Israel? Well, they get, they inherit the kingdom prepared from them. And this is so 
from the foundation. He doesn't go back to Abraham. Where'd he go? He went back to Adam. He went back to the whole goal. So what that tells us is that from the time of Genesis 1, God's plan in the earth has always been to establish that kingdom of the Lord in the earth. He's always, that's always been the plan. That's always been the answer to the rebellion of the adversary. Again, Genesis 1, there's rebellion. Genesis 3, what does man do? Rebels. The answer to the rebellion was there. He makes the, he makes the provision. What does he do in Genesis 3? He looks at the adversary and he says, you know what's going to happen? The seed of the woman is going to defeat your seed. And he introduces the seed of the woman. He doesn't say the seed of man. He says the seed of the woman. Why? Because in the woman, I saw a thing on Facebook or something about uh, there's a lady and she's holding a baby and she's arguing with someone and she says, did you make your own people? I made my own people. She's holding a baby. I made my own people. Well, where's life? Well, it takes a husband and a wife to make life, but you got to have the wife, the woman there, the seed of the woman. Now, the seed of the woman becomes who? The seed of the woman. There's where life is. It's in her womb. Okay? That's where it is. The seed of the woman becomes the seed of Abraham. But what happens in Genesis 4? Remember, Adam knows Eve, Cain and Abel, and she says, I have a man from the Lord. What does she think? Here's the seed. Here he is. The days of Noah. You remember Noah? You remember Enoch? Here we're going to have, my, I got my boy over here. He's from the Lord. So we're going to do uh, Methuselah. All that stuff. We're going to do all this and boom. Why? Because they're, they're looking for the seed. That's why Noah in Genesis 6, and he says he's perfect in his generations. He's perfect in that he's not deluded with the adversary. Generation, generate. He's, his three boys and their family haven't been polluted by the satanic policy. So what happens in Genesis 12? Now we have Abraham introduced, and now it's his seed, and it's in your seed. Isaac not Ishmael, Esau, not Jacob. He chose the line. The Lord chose the line. Then we learn in Deuteronomy, and by the way, then it becomes the, the 12 tribes. And then in Deuteronomy 1, we learn it's not just in any of the tribes. It's a specific tribe, Judah. But Judah's the largest tribe, so now we have the family, Jesse's family, but specifically David is the guy. So you've got David, and then the Lord goes to David and says, you're the one where the Messiah is going to come from your seed. So the seed of the woman becomes the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Israel, the 12, and it's really you, and it's going to be your seed line because all of your brethren are sinners, and they need a redeemer. Now, we did a lot there without running a bunch of verses, but if you've been around enough... You see, the mechanics here of how he's going to implement the seed, that promised redeemer, how he Im implements the promise of the Abrahamic covenant, 
is gathered up in the seed of David. That's why Matthew 1, look over at Matthew 1. Matthew 1, 1, in the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 1, Paul, the seed of David, that's who he is. In Christ is where all the blessings are going to be accomplished. In Christ is where that literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom is not, not just the spiritual, but also the physical is going. That's why he's, Luke 8, 1, preaching and showing the kingdom. He's giving them a foretaste of here's what kingdom life is, but it's found in you being in me. And how you get in there is you get born again and, and the regeneration, the rebirthing issues come in. If he, if the kingdom was not a literal, physical, visible, and earthly thing, then Jesus Christ couldn't be a literal, literal physical, visible, earthly person. But is he? He is. He's 100% God and 100% man. So because he is a literal, physical, visible, earthly person, then what is that kingdom? Same thing. It resides in him. The kingdom is that. If you can grasp that, then you have set yourself up for great understanding of the Old Testament because that's what the Old Testament, that's what the prophets are all about. In order for them to have life and life, come over to Jeremiah 31. You know Jeremiah 31. In order for them to have eternal life, in order for them to, their, their eternal life was in the kingdom. Deuteronomy, Moses says, I, lay, I put it before you, life and death. Choose life, eternal life, resurrection life. You see, the, they're to bring, but life only comes from that issue of having a, a circumcised heart, having the spiritual condition taken care of. If you look at Jeremiah 31, Verse 31, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be my covenant. Now, the law covenant that he made with them under Moses, they could not keep it in their in their own energy of their own flesh the energy of their own activity they couldn't keep it think about this he redeems them out of egypt says you're my nation i'm going to set you apart there's more free you're to be a royal priesthood a holy nation exodus 19 that's who you're to be and I'm going to give you my laws. I'm going to give you my, the, the way to do that, the way to accomplish that. And you know what he says? You couldn't do it. You couldn't keep it. Every time you tried to keep it, you failed. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make a new, agreement, a new covenant with you. And what am I going to do? Verse 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
How can he do that? The end of verse 34, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Well, you go over there to Ezekiel and you read the passage in Ezekiel and what does he do? Come over to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36. What's he doing here? Ezekiel 36, verse, well, it starts in really in verse 24. Every time I read Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, I want to go through the whole chapters. I know we just zone in, but man, the whole chapter. Verse, 30, uh, verse uh, 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. The issue of water baptism and that issue of identifying the priests and purifying the priesthood. Why? They are to be a royal priesthood. Now watch what he says. And you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. And a new heart also will I give you. And a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall do my judgments. I'm sorry, you shall keep my judgments and do them. Now, by the way, that's how you know what kind of body they're going to be resurrected into. It's going to be a fleshly resurrection. A, a new, their new body is going to be flesh, just like we have. It's just never going to decay and die. It's going to be new. Why? He's pulling out the old stony heart. And what's he putting in them? A circumcised heart. Why? Because they have to have that spiritual connection. Now, how did they get there? How does, how does one become a member of the believing remnant? They come over here, they acknowledge that Jesus Christ is their Messiah, and then they believe the word of God to them in the moment, and then they're baptized by John's baptism, and they're placed into the little flock. You see, they're... Uh, Acts 2.38, sirs, what must we do? Repent and be baptized. That's what they're doing. They're, they're obeying the word. To accomplish all that they had, to, they have to have the spiritual life first. That comes by faith. Then they can go into and deal and become and get the new work out the rest, and then they don't have to worry about their neighbors knowing them. Why? Because they've got the Spirit in them. Now come to Isaiah 26. So those two aspects that we introduced last week, we're still talking about this week, Isaiah 26. You have, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You've got to get the spiritual connection done first. And then all these things, the physical side is matched in. That's why he's out offering them the issue of being born again. The issue of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Isaiah 26, 1. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Open ye the gates that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may, what, enter in. There it is. That righteous nation, who are they? They keep the truth. They couldn't before, under the law, the old covenant, but under the new covenant, what can they do? They can keep the truth. He puts his spirit in them. They get the spirit of life, of truth, that is, then enables them to produce the physical activity that causes them to receive 
the kingdom. Verse 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting. See, what are they doing? They're trusting him. They're trusting the word of God about who Jesus Christ says he is, and who is he? He's Messiah. That's what he's doing. And because of that, and because of that, that, and that's where we're at in Mark. That's what he's doing. Listen, guys, you guys are over here arguing with each other and fighting with each other, and you've got to figure out that there's, you've got to fix yourself first. And then that will translate into the group being good to go. Now, come back over to, well, look at Isaiah 33, just thinking about this. Isaiah 33. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, don't miss those two aspects. Those are critical. Isaiah 33, notice verse 10. Isaiah 33, 10. Again, we're just jumping in here. Now will I rise, saith the Lord. Now will I be exalted. Now will I lift up myself. Ye shall conceive chaff. Ye shall bring forth stubble. Your breath as fire shall devour you. Well... Verse 20, and the people shall be as the burnings of lime, as thorns cut up shall they, they be burned in the fire. There's Matthew 3, verse 11 and 12, when John the Baptist says, I come baptizing you in water, but the guy coming after me is going to get you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and the fire, he's going to burn up the chaff on the floor there. He's going to take the wheat into, so we're going to get rid of the, of the apostates, and we're going to keep the belief, and the believers are going in. Verse 14, verse 13, Hear ye that are, that are far off. By the way, that's not Ephesians 2.13, you and I. That's the things in Acts 8 where they're scattered abroad. That's the things in, in Acts 2, Acts 1, when they come in, they're all over. What I have done, and ye that are near, acknowledge my might. <clears throat> Whoa, went too far. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness hath su surprised the hypocrite. And that, look at that. Those guys are going to be shocked. When this stuff happens, Israel, the unbelieving element in Israel, the apostate nation, is going to be shocked at what's going on here. Who among, now watch the question. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? Boy, what a question. Who's going to make it through the judgment? Verse 15, he that, walketh upright, he that walketh righteously and speaketh uprightly. He that despiseth the gain of the oppression, that shaketh his hands from holding of bribes, that stoppeth his ears from hearing of blood, and shutteth his eyes from seeing evil, he shall dwell on high. Verse 17, thine eyes have seen the king in his beauty. They shall behold the land that is very far off. Verse 22, for the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Who's going to make it through? That believing, the ones who, that righteous nation, that, that royal priesthood. They're doing the things in verse 15 and 16. They're sitting there and they're, they're despising the evil 
that's going on. And they're cleaving to that which is good, the word of God. So when we come back here to Mark 9, and we're talking here, uh, <laughs> hey, it's better to go into the kingdom maim than it is to go over there into hell, the lake of fire, whole because of your unbelief. You need to get over here and be where you're supposed to be. So the, the issue here, again, in the kingdom of God, is this issue about that heart condition has to be taken care of. By the way, that's why 1 John talks so much about being born of God. I don't know if you've ever read 1 John. Every time you turn around, he's talking about being born of God. Why? Because they need to have that spiritual component. It's not enough to be physical descendants. He looked, the Lord looks at the Pharisees, and he says, you're of your father the devil. They're not, they're not where they're supposed to be. You need to repent. Get over here and get underneath uh, John's baptism. What do they do? They reject the counsel of God not being baptized of John. The publicans and the sinners, what do they do? They justify God by being baptized of John. They say, yep, he's right. That's where we need to be. These guys are saying, no way. So, verse, uh, Mark 9, verse 50, what are they to do? They're to salt themselves. They're to have the faith that is required of them to have. That they're to have that faith that purifies themselves. And then that will result in peace within the group. It start always and always. I've said it before. The only response that God ever accepts from man, no matter where you're at in Scripture, is faith in the Word of God to them. It starts with that individual faith and the promise that God gave them. That then produces the life that gives them the capacity to be that righteous nation that they're supposed to be. And again, I'll say it, don't confuse justification and sanctification with us. We work, a little, we, we, we work differently because faith is still the issue, but they're working, they got another piece of the puzzle. Okay, so the kingdom, Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. And all these things will, shall be added to you. Get the spiritual component first, and then get the physical. Okay? All right, the hour's up. So catch that. If you catch that, it helps with the Old Testament. It helps with a lot of this. Okay? All right. Dear Holy Father, we thank you for the evening. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the folks that are here, for everyone as we come and study and look into your word and do so to know and to, to, to know a little deeper than just the story and to see what you're doing with your people in the future, but also in the time that you were with them. Because then as we look at what you're going to be doing with us in the future, we can rejoice in the same. In your name we pray. Amen.